Hello and welcome to the Seagull, the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Sandlin from the Public Affairs Office, and I'm joined by Airman First Class Francesca Scridulis. Together, we will get you up to speed on what's going on here at the Wing. All right, so for this month's rundown, we have AFSC Spotlights to learn a little bit more about the finance and fusion analyst career fields, five questions with the Inspector General's Office, a recap on the time conference many of our airmen attended, a little teaser of a mini documentary about 9-11, and the newest Chevron's podcast. But what you won't want to miss this episode is a discussion about suicide prevention and awareness from a couple of your wingmen here at the 102nd. So stay tuned. In this month's command message, Colonel Wendy Armejo, commander of the 202nd Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Group, speaks to the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of September 2001, two decades of the global war on terror, and embracing America's commitment to preserving freedom. Members of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, I'm honored to be delivering the command message on this drill weekend and on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. As service members, as Americans, it's a weekend with many mixed emotions, and it's a time to reflect. However, it's also a time to renew our dedication to service and to country. Likely you've heard many stories of the events on September 11, 2001. Many of us watched the fall of the Twin Towers, the strike on the Pentagon, or the crash in Pennsylvania in real time. The seconds, minutes, and days afterwards are still vivid. We were aircraft maintainers, command and control specialists, intelligence analysts, logisticians, personnelists, and many other AFSCs. We executed our duties in real time against a real threat at home. It was monumental and life-altering, to say the least. We faced warfare on U.S. soil. Enemies killed our fellow countrymen before our very eyes, and we were determined to, to defend our homeland from that day forward. There was chaos, there was adrenaline, and there was confusion. It was quite literally life or death, as we were determined to ensure the safety of our friends and family. This weekend, we'll have the opportunity to hear from those members of the 102nd who demonstrated noble patriotism on that tragic day. In a moment, the world changed. Deployments and mobilizations for service members changed, both in terms of location and frequency. America needed us, and because of our commitment to service, sacrifice, and country, we answered the call. Operation Enduring Freedom, the American-led effort to oust the Taliban regime in Afghanistan began just weeks after September 11th. With rapid planning, on October 7, 2001, American forces dropped bombs on Al-Qaeda and Taliban air defense radars, airfields, command and control facilities, and training camps. We carried the message that acts of terrorism on our soil would not be tolerated. At that point, the bond between first responders and our military was never stronger, and the global war on terror began. We fought hard in Afghanistan. Over 2,300 Americans were lost, and over 20,000 suffered wounds many due to horrific improvised explosive devices. Personally, I was deployed to the Kayak, which was located in Saudi Arabia at the time, during the first few months of the conflict. I remember briefing to operational commanders during the many days of Operation Anaconda and watching FMV footage as brave servicemen fought on the mountain known as the Whale's Tail. Now, as we acknowledge the end of our presence in Afghanistan, we may again reflect on how best to honor the 3,000 American lives lost on 9-11. We may wonder how to keep the memory of those who made the ultimate sacrifice over the last 20 years during overseas combat operations against the terrorists who were responsible for 9-11. 
How do we ever compensate for the years away from family and friends because of frequent and often difficult deployments? And how do we ever repay those 13 service members who died from a suicide bomb just days ago while helping Afghan citizens flee the Taliban in the final days? To me, it's this. We stay confident in America's commitment to preserve freedom throughout the world, to stand firmly against atrocities of all forms, and to protect our homeland. We honor the past by continuing to serve, by upholding the core values of the Air Force, integrity, excellence in all we do, and service before self. We should move forward by pivoting from an emphasis on counterterrorism and ready ourselves for the next strategic challenge. We should support the national security and the national defense strategy's renewed focus on great power competition with Russia and with China. We must commit to training focused on these much more sophisticated competitors. We should focus not on a single domain, but on operational concepts that integrate all domains, air, land, sea, space, and cyberspace. We should embrace innovation and learn to employ technologies that allow for interoperability, all with the goal of strengthening our capabilities against any entity who might try to threaten our vital interests the principles of freedom, and the homeland of the United States of America. As mentioned earlier, we have two AFSC features for you. First, we hear from Senior Airman Robert Clemente, who talks about his role as a financial management technician in the 6F career field. Later, we hear from Airman First Class Ben Militello about his job as a fusion analyst. My name is Senior Airman Robert Clemente. I'm a financial management technician. I always wanted to serve my country and I thought this would be the best way I could do it. On the day to day, I'll log onto the computer and then I'll go into the mods and cancellations report. I'll look into if that needs like a mill pay transactions and I'll indicate yes it does or no it doesn't. And then after that, I'll print out the documents and basically I'll go into DMO and I'll do the necessary transaction. My military career plans to staying as long as possible in finance. I really enjoy it here. I really enjoy the team that we built here. I would have this for another two to four years because I enjoyed the work down here. I've been given every opportunity to succeed and I thank the leadership and my peers around me for making me into the airman I am today. A1C, Ben Militello. I'm a fusion analyst in the Air National Guard. We collaborate with other AFSCs, other specialties, uh, such as the imagery, uh, one and ones, one and twos, uh, and compile fusion reports, essentially. We take multi-source intelligence, put it into a uh, single product for our customers. It is a good time, yeah. Um, uh, Otis is fantastic. The people in the 102nd, the people in the 101st uh, are fantastic. Um, you know, I work on a team with a team of people, so, you know, it's, a lot of problem solving, uh, so if you come across something that's a bit of a challenge, you get an opportunity to bounce ideas off of your, your team, um, which I really enjoy. Our objective is to keep our people and our uh, assets safe. I think being at Otis, we have a unique opportunity to contribute to that. Welcome to Five Questions, where we invite a subject matter expert to come in and provide some timely information about topics relevant and important to our airmen's careers, their jobs, and the wing's mission. This month, we have Lieutenant Colonel Andrew St. Jean in the studio with us. Colonel St. Jean is the 102nd Intelligence Wing Inspector General. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Uh, with our Headquarters Air Combat Command capstone uh, inspection looming, the timing seems appropriate to have you in. Are you ready for five questions? Let's do it. Fantastic. So question number one, what is the mission of the Wing Inspector General's office? Can you give me like the one-minute elevator pitch? I was, I was prone for the 30-second elevator pitch, so this will work out pretty well. Um, so I guess at its core, what the Inspector General office is designed to do is to serve as the eyes and ears of the commander. Uh, to, for the Wing Commander here, 
uh, and to assist all commanders at all levels in order to help them discover undetected noncompliance in their processes and programs, trying to ensure that things don't fall through the cracks and things aren't missed that otherwise uh, could have a big impact on mission success. Uh, additionally, it's to serve as a resource for our airmen uh, and give them a, a different avenue to bring complaints, specifically as it relates to allegations of uh, restriction and reprisal. So it's just one additional means by which to get folks' issues heard, uh, to give another venue for commanders to elevate concerns that they have with their own programmatics and to ensure that you know things don't fall through the cracks. Oh, great, great. Question number two. It's no secret that we've got a big inspection coming up. Headquarters will be here soon. For those newer airmen that haven't been through an inspection of this nature before, what can they expect? So I guess... Uh, First and foremost, I don't want folks to think that preparing for an inspection is any different than preparing for successful mission execution. So one of the key things that's part of the Air Force inspection system that's been embedded in uh, AFI 9201 is that inspection readiness is mission readiness and mission readiness is inspection readiness. So if you understand your wing's mission, if you understand your unit's mission, if you understand the roles and responsibilities you have in your own job and you understand how all those things fit together, effectively, you're ready for the inspection. The inspection is ultimately designed to ensure that there's continuous improvement, that processes are in place for continuous improvement, uh, and that the inspection is there, you know, inspect to improve. Just help us get better at all the things that we're going to do. One of the things to prepare for in, in the lead-up to this, uh, when the MAGCOM comes in to do the inspection, is they'll do airmen to IG sessions. So they've all got them scheduled for the 10th and 11th of September. There will be Airmen to IG group sessions conducted by the MAGCOM Inspector General's Office. And that's an opportunity for uh, Airmen in a group setting to confidentially answer questions from those MAGCOM Inspector Generals related to how Airmen understand their mission, how do they understand the climate that they're operating in, how do they understand the culture of their organization, and what impediments have they seen to achieving their mission success. Uh, question number three, I've heard the terms vertical and horizontal inspections. What's the difference and what goals do they serve? Well, if you've heard the terms vertical and horizontal inspections and you're honestly doing better than I was before I took the job as the inspector general. Um, but to quickly summarize what a vertical versus a horizontal is, a vertical inspection is designed to inspect an individual unit. And the goal is to inspect it from top to bottom, from bottom to top, and ensure that processes and procedures within that organization are understood. Uh, it, looking through the lens of the four major graded areas, which I think you're going to tee up here shortly. And uh, a horizontal inspection is geared towards assessing the effectiveness of a program longitudinally, so across the wing. So when you think of something like the Air Force Fitness Program, each and every one of the units on this base has somebody who's involved in the unit fitness uh, program you know, as either as a UFPM or as a fitness monitor, somebody who does the testing. So it's to take a look at that program across the board and see how well it's run as one whole, uh, one whole endeavor. Um, as you alluded to, uh, question number four, what are the four major graded areas and why do I need to know? So your four major graded areas, leading people, managing resources, improving the unit, and executing the mission. So if you wanted to figure out what the source data for that is, you can look in AFI 9201, which covers the Air Force inspection system. But really, they're pulled directly from AFI 1-2, which is commander's responsibilities. So what those things really represent at their core is the key processes, procedures, requirements based on public law, executive orders, directives, and instructions uh, that commanders are required to be responsible for in order to ensure mission success, that they're taking care of the folks, that they're being good stewards of the taxpayers' dollars and that they're effectively posturing their unit to achieve the missions that have been given to them through their unit uh, doc statements, their mission essential tasks, and so forth. The um, question number five and our final question, the Wing IG isn't all about inspections. What is complaints and resolutions and why is this important to our airmen? Yeah, so within the IG office, so there will be different sections. You'll have the IGI, which is focused on inspections, and then you have the IGQ, which is focused on complaints resolution. Now, one of the things that's unique about the 102nd Intel Wings IG shop is that every member of the IG shop has been Q qualified. So they've been trained in how to handle the complaints resolution process. 
that's set out in AFI 90-301. So if you wanted to dig a little bit deeper into how the complaints resolution process works, that's the governing AFI. But the goal with the complaints resolution process is to address command issues such as command climate, abusive hostile environments, misconduct by leadership, and give airmen a venue to voice some of those complaints like we talked about early on. Now, primarily, uh, there's a couple different avenues that a complaint can be handled. Uh, you can have a, a, a complaint that's transferred, assisted, referred, dismissed, or investigated. So if it's transferred, there's going to be some things that the IG office doesn't have. It would be unethical for us to investigate or to handle on our own. So a complaint against the IG office is probably not something we should be ethically handling. So those would be transferred to Joint Force Headquarters or uh, one of our higher headquarters inspector general offices. There might be a complaint against leadership within the organization uh, that is, you know, that, that are our bosses. And again, in that instance, it might be one of those times where we would transfer to a different IG office. For an assist, that's you come in, you got a complaint, something doesn't seem right, you got concerns, we have the opportunity to potentially provide some assistance, give some recommendations, and send folks back out into the wild armed with a little bit more knowledge in the hopes that they can kind of address that issue on their own. For a referral, uh, there are some items that directly deal with problems within a chain of command. So there's an opportunity to refer those uh, complaints out to a superior command that can then address them. So if there's a complaint against uh, the way a squadron commander is handling something and the claim looks to have some validity to it, what we will normally do in that instance is refer that out to that commander's commander in order for that chain of command to then address it. Uh, dismiss is just, you know, there might be a failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, and unfortunately those situations are ones that will be dismissed, and, and those are actually fewer and farther between than you might, uh, than you might think. And then investigate. So the IG office has a responsibility to serve as the investigator for instances of restriction or reprisal. So restriction is an airman is prohibited from making a protected communication to the IG office or to a member of Congress. Reprisal is any unfavorable action taken against a member for having uh, conveyed a protected communication to the IG office, to a, a, a member of Congress, or uh, it could be even conveying something to the, a member in the chain of command. And there are certain instances where that's applicable. So if you really wanted to find all of the kind of definitions of what a protected communication is and how it plays in with restriction and reprisal, AFI 9301 Attachment 1 gives a pretty suitable definition of what that actually is. So that's it for five questions. Is there anything you'd like to add? Is there anything that you'd uh, like to ensure the Airmen of the Wing are aware of? Yeah, so one thing that I want to ensure people understand is that the IG office isn't looking to do things to you. The IG office is looking to do things for you. Uh, that's true of our airmen who are coming forward with some potential violations or, or concerns about violations of processes and procedures. And it's just as true for the commanders to give them an additional avenue to get their concerns into a different set of channels. So if commanders feel as though they don't have the resources available to do things and they've documented these things and put them in their checklist, utilizing the IG as a way to highlight in IG channels that there are a, there's a mismatch between what the Air Force asked us to do and what the Air Force gave us to do those things, that's one ad additional pathway that we can utilize. So we're, you know, we're here to be a resource. We're not here to be black hats and come in and, and point over your shoulder and tell you all the things you're doing wrong. Uh, it's a lot like, you know, if you remember those old commercials for BASF, like I don't make the things you buy, I can make the things you buy better. Same kind of deal. I, I don't make the policies, but I can hopefully make the policies you have to live by a little bit better. So what's the best way to get in touch with your office? How can Airmen reach out to you or your staff? So uh, there is an IG org box, uh, which I'd be happy to pass along to you. If I could remember what it was off the top of my head, I'd tell you, but uh, there is an IG org box in the, uh, in the global uh, additionally, you know, 7141, you can get a hold of me at, at extension 7141 at any given time. And we're down on the, you know, we're now down on the first floor of building 170. So if you come in the main door and turn right and go to what was formerly the MEO office and is the shelter in place location for the, for building 170, uh, you can't miss us. So great, great, great. 
Um, and I will include your uh, functional email address in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for coming in and answering five questions, sir. All right. Thank you. Airmen from around the region had a wonderful professional and personal development opportunity to attend the 2021 Technical Sergeants Involved and Mentoring Enlisted Airmen Workshop in Southbridge, Massachusetts, August 16th to 20th, 2021. The event was hosted by the Massachusetts Air National Guard, and attendees spent the week focusing on leadership development, including discussing resiliency, emotional intelligence, physical fitness, and leading generations. We hear from Senior Master Sergeant Matthew Davis from Joint Force Headquarters, who organized the event, as well as Technical Sergeant Frederick Freeman, a recruiter with the 109th Airlift Wing, New York Air National Guard, who attended the workshop. Basically, we're trying to focus and hone in on our technical sergeants. They're going to be those future leaders that they're going to have the new generations of airmen coming through. And so the TAG, the command chief of the state, they've all invested money and time and effort to show those tech sergeants that they're important to us. They're important to what the missions are. We're trying to take all these skill sets and be like, you need to take care of yourself. And by taking care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, all those things, you're actually going to be a better leader. Learning more about leadership and how I can be a better leader, especially the new recruits that I'm bringing in, how I can empower them because that's one of the biggest actions that the Chief of Staff of the Air Force has on this list, empowering our airmen. And I want to be able to empower these young troops and also how they communicate, understand our own emotional intelligence so that we can communicate better and be on the same playing field. Because that's what's going to make us more aggressive and better force overall. So it's, it's, we're taking everything that we're learning here today, and I want to be able to take that and be a better NCO for the newer airmen that I am putting into the Air Force. So upcoming here is just a little teaser for a mini documentary that we've been working on about 9-11 and the people here at Otis who are a part of the response to those attacks. Well, that day was actually much like today. Gorgeous blue sky, low humidity. But it started off as a normal Tuesday. A Tuesday back then was our meeting days. And the TV was on, and we saw that one of the towers was on fire. Is that American 11 trying to call? We have some claims. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're returning to the airport. If we have managed to pique your interest with that little tidbit, you'll be able to find the full video online after the remembrance ceremony being held at the base and on Facebook Live on the morning of September 11th. Here is a bit of a preview of our other podcast, Chevrons. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. This month, we had the pleasure of interviewing Chief Master Sergeant Rachel Landigent, State Command Chief for the Arizona Air National Guard, and Airman First Class Nolan Kaldenberg, a paralegal in the Staff Judge Advocate's Office at Otis Air National Guard Base. Our guests shared their perspectives on potential benefits, personal and professional, of reaching outside your comfort zone and taking advantage of development opportunities. As I listen to both of you talk about your experience at tech school, you will find that with each development that you go to, even when you go to um, an in-resident PME or you go to a new course or you have an opportunity, um, you know, ranger school, extremely challenging, but you know, you put yourself out there. Ultimately, you're investing in yourself and every time you do anything hard, you're, it, the payback is going to fulfill in your own career, but all of your peers. And even as you mentor up and down, all those experiences are gonna help the Air Force be better. All right, so if you've hung in here with us so far through the command message, AFSCs, the capstone, enlisted development, chevrons, now is the time. 
While all that other stuff is important and hopefully interesting to most of you, this is what you've been waiting for. So September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and it's important to talk about suicide and make sure that people know it's okay to ask for help. We got to sit in on a conversation with Ms. Jill Garvin, the Wing Director of Psychological Health, who spoke with two Wing Airmen about how connecting to family, friends, community, and their units are more important than ever before. Hello, everyone. This is Jill Garvin, the Director of Psychological Health for the 102nd Intelligence Wing. And I'm here today because September is Suicide Prevention Month, and it's sort of our time to re-energize our, our year-round commitment to strengthen protective factors against suicide and try to enhance our well-being of our of our guard family. And the the theme this year is connect to protect. And so we're going to have a conversation. I have a couple guests that are going to introduce themselves. But connection really is at the core of our um, suicide prevention mission. And it comes in a lot of different forms. Meaningful connection with friends and family and fellow service members um, really foster a sense of belonging and reminding us that we're not alone. And at the end, we'll talk about a couple of resources and maybe some helpful coping strategies. But right now, I want my two guests to introduce themselves. And then we are going to have a conversation around asking for help, offering help. How do we ask questions? How do we ask for help? And um, the two special guests I have today are very important to me because I see them helping others and uh, sharing some of their wisdom. And and they're also um, really good about asking for what they need. So would you like to introduce yourself first? Sure. Hi, I'm Tech Sergeant Giselle Rodriguez, and I'm part of the 102nd Medical Group. Um, Welcome. Thank you. Hey, good morning or good afternoon. I don't know when people are listening to this. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, uh, Tech Sergeant uh, Jay Whitaker. Uh, I'm the 102nd Conf Flight. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> glad that you guys are here. And, you know, I, I know that you guys have had uh, some experiences, and I don't know, maybe we could start off with what, what are some ways that you have asked for help? What are some things that have helped you, if you're comfortable starting mm-hmm. there? Sure. And then also, and, and then we can go into how you offer help and some of the things that uh, are important to you. Sure. Um, so I'm going to start off with, like, a, my own personal experience with, uh, you know, asking for help. Back in 2017, I had bought a house. I'm a single mom. So um, I went into it almost in a not thinking, just, like, I was thinking my dad's passing away. Uh, he's in his last, you know, maybe a year, maybe a couple months, and I wanted him to see him, I wanted him to see me accomplish something else, maybe not marriage, but at least buy a house, you know, and um, so I bought this house, and it was super far from work, um, a lot of debt, like I paid everything, out of, like I saved a lot of money just living with my parents, but I didn't know how much it would dig me into a hole until um, I was in it. So t- as time was going by, a couple months went by, I was already in a hole uh, due to my job not paying me while I was away on military duty. So that was the first. You know, it's hard to catch up, right? But I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't say any- I kept it to myself. I kept quiet. Um, and everything just started, like, almost rolling over. Just snowballing. Snowballing effect, you know, uh, and I just made it seem like I was great, like everything was going fine, like I had it together, and I had nothing together. Um, I didn't want my my mom to worry. I didn't want my parents to worry. I didn't want my son to think that he wasn't going to have a home because I felt like a failure, like I wasn't respond, Like I didn't do what I had to do uh, to have my finances the way I should have or um, have bought the house in a smarter way, you know? So it went to the point where um, my car almost got repossessed. 
And the only thing that saved me that day was, uh, I say grace, because I couldn't, I wasn't home when they came to pick up the car. Mm. So the guy that came to pick it up, I explained to him what was going on. And he's like, you know what, we're not going to go pick it up. Like, we'll give you a little bit of time to pay it. I was like, how am I going to pay about two months of mortgage that's already behind me? Um, and two pay, yeah, two payments of a car, which is that totaling almost like seven, six grand. And it, it, I got to a desperate point where um, my son was at home that day and um, everything just kind of exploded together because at this point, my dad was extremely ill. He had gotten worse. Um, my, fam my finances were completely in the rut and I was facing, I was facing either foreclosure or I would have to do bankruptcy. And I didn't want to do either or. So I figured out a way to sell the house before I even got to that point. Um, but it was, I, I didn't have the complete answers yet because I had just put it on the market. So that day that I actually, like everything just broke, I, I thought about suicide. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, and you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday about, yes, people have thoughts of suicide, yeah, right? Um, it's not as uncommon it, as we think. But on this day, I actually really thought mm -hmm. of um, ending it. Mm. Ending it because um, I didn't want to seem like a failure to everybody. Uh, my job, <laughs> my regular job, uh, as in law enforcement, like, what were they going to think of me? Uh, how was mm. I going to be seen in front of my comrades, um, in front of just my leadership in general? Because not only do I have to answer to my family, but I'm also an example to people around me, you know, in the military and in the civilian world, and especially, especially my son. Mm. So um, I called the suicide hotline. Um, to them, I told them I wasn't thinking about hurting myself, but I was. Mm. Uh, they stayed on the phone, and um, it was a scream for help. Uh, I couldn't, I was ashamed to tell my family. I was ashamed to call anyone else um, because I didn't want to get judged. Like, there's a lot of people that don't understand uh, the battle with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So at, at that moment, it's like the PTSD was, everything was triggered, plus what was going on. And I said, oh, my God, I, you know, just take a couple pills. Yeah. And I really thought about the way I was just done or just sit plan. in my car in, in, in the garage, and that's it. You know, that would be the end of it. But then um, having... Growing up in, in church and having the faith that I did, I, something came up to my mind and said, no, um, it's, not, it's, you're not, it's not done yet. You have a whole life to live. And the lady on the phone, um, she was amazing. She was like, no, I'm not hanging up the phone. Are you sure you don't want to hurt yourself? Like, let's talk about it. I was like, well, she's like, no, this is just, she sent me resources, but I felt like even the resources that they were giving me, like it wasn't going to solve anything. You know, like, I was too deep. Mm. It really was. It, it was, I was too deep into it. And um, it was by, by miracle that I was going to be able to either get out of it without um, having, like, not being homeless. That was my biggest fear. Being homeless, being without, um, able to have a transportation to, you know, make a living. Because how was I going to go back and forth to, to work, to duty? Um, but I never told anyone. Mm -hmm. Every time uh, the, you know, you, you get the PHA every year, the, the health assessment, no, I'm great. I've never thought about that. And that's the taboo, yeah. you know? You that's fear stigma. the taboo, the stigma. Why? Because you have PTSD, you have, um, you're battling mental health, you're all of a sudden less than anyone. Um, so that's what I thought. I was like, oh my God, they're going to like, kick me out of the service if um, they they already know they have PTSD. So if they know that I better um, be careful. this is going to, 
I'm going to get kicked out. And um, that would be the end of my career. And I've worked too hard for this. So I just kept painting a pretty picture. People kept, they, they, some, some of them would say, hey, why, why are you always angry when you come in here? But, um, and I'm always a happy person, but it's not that I was angry. It's that I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Struggling to keep it together. Um, I would show up at work and in my regular job and laugh it off. But as soon as I would walk out the door and I'd get in my car, I'm like, I don't want to go home. Like, that's not home. A huge house, I, a car that I can't afford. <laughs> and it wasn't that I couldn't afford it. It's that I, I, in a desperation moment, I didn't think things through. I didn't get the, the assistance that I should have had, the advice, the people behind me. And I knew that there was a support group. I knew I had people that could, that could be there, but I didn't want to be a burden. Yeah. So that's another thing. We think you're we're a burden if we speak to someone about it. So we don't say anything. Again, and I, just quickly, because you have named some of the risk factors, right? Yeah. You know, around what we do look yeah. for, you know, that debt and yeah. an ill parent and yeah. loss and dealing with PTSD. Yeah. Uh, and then I also wanted to ask you, I know it didn't fix anything, mm-hmm. but that call you made and that person staying on the line with you, it does sound like mm-hmm. that did kind of get you through that moment. Yep. Um, and that was very helpful to have another person stay with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I actually started therapy after that. Uh, people don't get therapy. Yeah. Why? Because there's a record. And... Nope, if there's a record, that means uh, I'm going to get bypassed for jobs that I really want. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? At that point in my life, I was like, <laughs> I have a job. So I'm like, I can't keep doing this alone, you know? Um, and it's not like I went for help to get the meds, because now the mistake that a lot of the BA does, too, is that they give you meds. It's not the meds. It's, um, I was looking for someone else to almost like listen to me that was a neutral point. Mm-hmm. And maybe they could relate to me as a vet if they were a vet themselves. So I didn't go directly to the VA. I went to the vet center. And um, it was one of the therapists there that he was an Army War vet. And he related. He mm-hmm. re- he could relate to me. He c- you know, it wasn't just a, a therapist that could be like, oh, yeah, I'm a... And there's nothing wrong with... Um, Civilians, but if civilians haven't dealt with military or have had uh, experience with PTSD from war or just PTSD in general as a service member, then they won't know how to interact or actually listen. Sometimes that can be more harmful than helpful. Yes, yes, and and that's happened to me. So when they asked me, why didn't you keep going with this therapy? Oh, because they really didn't help. It kind of hindered, mm. kind of took me back, like regressed me instead mm. of having me push forward. Like I felt more in there. Like it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel those feelings. Um, so but you found a therapist from the vet center? No, from the VA. From the VA. Yeah, because from the vet center I had moved away. So then I had to go to the next thing, which was the VA. But I asked many, many, many times for help. Because I know I, I couldn't bear it by myself. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. Um, and I ended up selling the house, which was good. My car didn't get repossessed. But it wasn't easy, you know. Uh, it, <laughs> it wasn't easy at all. No one knew. I never told my parents. To this day, my, my family never knew the struggle. And that's how I wanted to keep it, because I didn't want them to see me as, a, like I said, a failure. You know, mm-hmm. a failure. Like, you can't handle that. You're in your 30s and and you can't handle your your life like your mother you're supposed to have this because you also go by what society you're supposed to have this and this and this by this age and this is how you had all these milestones and um no uh (laughs) i realized after all this time like no i can't live life according to what everybody else's thoughts are or what because it just does more harm than yeah it it hinders you it almost like 
bottles you up and, and freezes you right there at that at that point and it doesn't allow you to go forward so um but yeah I can say that it was one of the darkest moments and and, and recently I never I didn't think about suicide but I it almost got triggered with all these um losses that we've had you know it's like there's a lot of us that survived you know all this stuff and um mm. you got to check up on one another check up on one another well that's one of the things that I see you do all the time, right? You know, you're able to use your really challenging, painful experience to help others. And there's yes. so much power in that connection and being able oh, yeah. to relate. And somebody is going to relate more to you yeah. than, say, someone like me mm-hmm. um, because you've been there. And you yeah. can also offer hope. Oh, yeah. And how you've asked for help and what some of those uh, resources are. Yeah, and I have a lot of people coming up, um, coming up to me and they're like, "What should I do?" I'm like, "You need to go and speak to someone. Like, there's some stuff that you probably don't want to share with me. Mm-hmm. You might not feel comfortable, even though I'm your good friend. But you need to speak to someone. You need to get the help. Don't worry about no stigma. If you don't get it, you're gonna drown. Right. 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 You're gonna drown in it. I had a um, a buddy. Fr- I worked years ago for TSA, and he's a Navy war vet. He's a Navy veteran. And he, um, during the COVID, he got COVID, but it, he got it real bad. And he um, he texted me one day. He's like, I'm just going to end it. He's in the hospital. So I, I, it almost like, it almost broke me at that moment because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm nowhere near Connecticut. I already knew the hospital he was in. He's like, no, I'm just going to end it. I'm like, no, no, sir. Like, this is not the way you're going out. It's, you're going to get through this. You got to focus on healing. I'm going to call someone. I called the hospital. I said, can you go get a pillow in there? He needs a pillow. He needs a pillow. Then one of my, when he got um, discharged after that, he was like, I don't, I can't do this. It's too painful. I was like, you've been through worse. I just, I kept trying to like give him a little bit of hope, a little bit of light. Uh, and let him talk. Like, what is it? What's? Oh, I'm alone. I don't have anyone. What do you mean you're alone? You have, but I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. It's okay. It's fine. Mm. You got your friends. We your family. Yeah. I had another buddy, a mutual friend. He went. I called him because we're very, very tight. So I said, look. He's talking about dying. He's like, no. I, he's like, no worries. I'm here. So he had sent a message to him and me, and since my buddy, my other buddy was closer, he arrived at his house knocking on the window. Right. That's a beautiful example of, again, connection and having, having that support, showing up for people, reminding them. I love that you said the word hope reminding them that there is hope because they don't see that. We don't see that when we're in in those darkest moments. No, you don't. You completely lose it. They're like, oh, hope is the last thing. No, let me tell you something. (laughs) When you're in that moment, you're not thinking about hope. You're not thinking about faith. You're thinking this is like the worst I've ever felt in my life, the darkest I've ever been, and I don't see a way out. There is no hope. There's no light. There's no light. There's not even a uh, No, nothing. I don't see anything. I don't see anything behind that. Right. So that's why we need other people to show us 100%. that. One hundred percent. To remind yeah. us of that. To remind us that we're still alive, right? That we do matter. That we have accomplished things in our life mm-hmm. because we. I had someone. Um, it impacted me. <laughs> the word stayed in my mind because I I know her from high from middle school, and I reunited with her. Um, and she goes, Giselle. Do you know how much you've accomplished? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you always wanted to go into the military since we were kids. Girl. I was like, I don't know. Where you don't you don't think about that, right? You think, oh, no, I, I haven't. I mean, other people have done, like, a lot, you know? No. And I'm like, well, if you don't know about my dark moments, like, I almost did this. You start thinking that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that almost comes back. And you're like, no, no. I didn't take my life because it was more valuable because I have my son. So who's going to take care of my son better than me? 
if I wouldn't be here? How was that going to affect him? How selfish was I going to be if I would have left him behind? Right, so really thinking about your your purpose and my purpose, the meaning. Yeah, my why, and that's yeah, my right. why. This, that's, my, that's why I keep, that's why I push so hard. That's why I tell my son, listen, even when it seems there's no such word, you, our can't is not, our, is not in our vocabulary. Like you can, you can't is not in there. It's either you do it, and if you fail, you try again. You do not quit. You don't quit. There's no quitting. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I can't do it, Mom. Yes, you can. Do you see me quitting? Yeah. And I show him. I, you know, you, you have to be. You have to have that that deep, the deep purpose, that deeper purpose in yourself. Absolutely. And I want to hear from you. And again, thank you. Yes. Brought up good points. You know, the especially I was just going to mention when people start to feel like they're a burden or we get focused on what other people are going to think or what's going to happen to me if I speak up, you know, really focusing on putting yourself first no matter what. Um, yeah, and I'd love to hear some of your comments and <laughs> feedback. And um, Well, first, really, thank you for sharing all that. That was honestly that Put me in. I'm. I'm glad you went first. Okay, because <laughs> you got yours is not gonna be any less. Yeah, Don't worry about I was that. just like, oh wow. Okay, we really get we minute two. We're already in. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, it, it it really, I've I've avoided yeah. therapy because mm-hmm. of the stigma. And mm-hmm. at one point in my career, it actually did. But the, and you know I, when I was active duty, go to life skills, and mm-hmm. then you you get three visits, and then that fourth one is documented, and so yeah, and then you, yeah. I watch people get passed up for promotion, and mm-hmm. then I I I got passed up for promotion, so it affects, and so I for a long time I avoided it, and I had to channel it other ways mm-hmm. and figure out what worked best yeah. for me because I. Uh, I live in Plymouth, Massachusetts, happily now. But before that, I'm. Uh, for those who don't know and that are listening, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then I my my. They, you could put whatever you want on your dream sheet. You could go mm-hmm. to Germany. You could go to Korea. You could yeah. go to Florida, and they sent me to Utah. And if you haven't <laughs> figured out um, what I look like, I'm uh, I'm a very tall Virgo. For those if you don't know what I look like, so yeah, I'm a tall Virgo, and there's not a lot of tall Virgos in Utah. If you understand what I'm what I'm saying, <laughs> and so it could be a very lonely place, and I didn't know. And so when I did try therapy, I was talking to people that just really didn't understand what I was. I was a science project for them. I couldn't yeah. really connect, so I had to connect in other ways, and I had to really dig deep to find my tribe. And mm-hmm. that, I encourage people to do that, is yeah. to, like, really find your tribe. Make sure it's not problematic now. Like, yeah. Please, like, <laughs> a good tribe. Yeah, a, a good, good tribe. tribe. A good tribe. A okay? tribe. Like, a good tribe. Yeah. But I, I really encourage people to, especially veterans that are transitioning and, um, and that are also struggling with PTSD, depression, anxiety, whatever, mm-hmm. Find that group of veterans. Um, I'm so grateful that I was able to find a group in, in Utah called the Continue Mission, mm-hmm. um, continuemission.org. They're wonderful. And it's a group that basically focuses on transitioning veterans and uh, service members that are struggling, uh, and that are still you know, still serving, and just being around that. Yeah. And it because I was talking to people that that didn't, they, they were either out of the military or... Mm-hmm. or or whatever, but so it wasn't like I was talking to my coworkers and they yeah. were, my coworkers weren't watching me struggle, you know, because yeah. you don't want to have a breakdown and yeah, and I get it in front of the same people that you you know you do you prepare for an inspection with, you know, you don't you don't <laughs> no, so fun, yeah. you know, so it, it, you don't want that. I mean, unless you do, I don't know. Live your life, <laughs> but <laughs> but my whole thing is that. Being around people that just spoke the spoke the language, they understood the jargon that that um, and someone that could understand, and and really seeing veterans that 
were that have found new hobbies like mm-hmm. cycling, woodwork, yeah, uh, and they just found their thing, you know, and it was being unafraid to just be unapologetically yourself, being a flat out geek, like yeah. um, your authentic self. Yeah, right? yeah, your authentic self. I mean, you 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 definitely want to be that. I mean. I had to like lean into myself and figure out what I like. I love to laugh. I love stand-up comedy, so I pursued that, and I was able to do stand-up comedy, and at a at a very low level, and work up to a, a level that pays the bills. And I'm very grateful for that. And it all became because I was so depressed. I went through my first divorce. I was now in a very foreign area. That is somehow still the United States. Uh, yeah. it, it's, Utah feels like another continent at times. Yeah, I've seen it. And so I just felt very alone, and I was like, but when I grabbed a microphone, I could get it all out, and somehow that stage protected me from the audience. So I was just, I was just up there with my thoughts, and eventually it just came, it got good to me where I was like, you know what? I'm paying a therapist to talk about my problems. How about I just talk about my problems and get paid for it? And <laughs> let's and I, I was like, like this is idea. this is a better financial move for me personally. So it, it, I got I consider myself fortunate because not everyone figures that out. And unfortunately, you know, I've I've lost fellow service members to suicide, you know, and it it's it's painful. I've I've lost before lost before I joined the military. I lost people to suicide. I've I've I can count on fingers and toes how many people I've lost close to me from suicide. So at at some point I almost got numb to it, and then some point because you're just you almost you you almost just you, I won't say I understand. But you realize how life, how hard life can be sometimes. Yeah. But you, I, I do the best I can to just give them all the tools, all the resources. I don't remember phone numbers. I barely remember my own sometimes. It's, yeah. I have a very easy phone number, so I always remember it. But the, the hotline, I'm, I'm like, I can't even remember that. I, I just remember military one source, find your tribe. Honestly... What helps me talk to the elderly, like yes, that yeah. has helped me out so much. I, I will talk, eighty-year-old guy, and I'll just be like, "Hey, how did you do it?" <laughs> like, cause they've lived it; yeah. they're still here. I don't know their whole story. It might be a stranger, but like, the wisdom that you get yeah. from from those who have lived a life can be so helpful if you're willing to just listen and and really apply it. Um, I had, I'll speak on it right now. I had to deal with a situation this morning. And mind you, before, to those that are listening, we planned this podcast a couple days out. And I had a situation this morning where I had to, Counsel a friend unexpectedly, and thank God I'm on the East Coast now. And I, I'm very grateful that I got over that stigma of avoiding mental health, yeah. avoiding therapy, and I was able to just talk to my friend for an hour and laugh about things. Thank God for humor sometimes, and mm-hmm. and because that can be just extremely disarming. My friend was unable to talk for the first 10 minutes. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm not going to get off the phone until, you know, you know I can talk. So I don't want to talk over you, but I am listening. I'm doing the work. I I said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm running late for for work. I had had another situation this morning, but I got an hour drive. So I got good service. Shout out to (laughs) T-Mobile. You know, like, I'm just... So we're going to figure this out. And eventually, you, you just, you, how you were talking about how you were just yeah. in that, in it, in you it. just, we just slowly pull mm-hmm. out like uh, those Chilean miners. That's, I don't yeah. know why I thought about that, but remember that whole incident? Okay, yeah. that's random. But it, my whole thing is, is with, 
once you are in those situations to anyone that is counseling to helping i won't say counseling but just being just being there show up and be ready to listen and be like it is hard sometimes you have to like hey can you just give me 20 minutes i'm gonna call you and we're gonna figure this out And and sometimes just speaking on that because people do get overwhelmed like how do i help what if what if i should have you know there really isn't any magic Right. want or combination of things you can do. But what you said is such a great example of just staying and listening mm-hmm. and encouraging and being supportive and making sure that they're getting the resources right. that they need. And, you know, it really also is a, a spiritual kind of axiom that when we do help others, we help ourselves, right? right? Yeah. You know, and I hear both of you really saying well, I know both of you really help a lot of other people, but and at the same time, it gives you a little sort of insurance oh, yeah, around your own good. well-being because yeah. Yeah. well, you're helping. It, it just lets you know that, oh, yeah, life is hard, and we really do all need each other. Yeah. I mean, like, there is a... And, bring it full circle with, you know, there's the reason why it's called the wingman, you know, like Mm -hmm. Air Force. And that's, we really believe that it's, it's, you need, you need this. You cannot do this alone. And, and I'll, fellas, I'm talk men, I am talking to you specifically. Go get therapy, please. (laughs) Please stop being afraid of uh, the stigma. Uh, Just because the BX got, uh, a fifth of vodka on sale for nine dollars. Don't sp- spend money on therapy. Mm-hmm. Spend twenty five dollars on a copay, and go talk to somebody, please. Because I know men, it's harder for us to just do that. But we we are so, and this is not just men, but all of us in general are so focused on being a product and not a person. Especially in this age of social media with branding, everyone wants to. Uh, they're trying to mm. just be a person. It's okay to be a person. Yeah. Not You are not a product. You are not this genetically engineered human being that is just all perfect. Um, that is clearly Thor. Um, and <laughs> you just need to be so much, like you just need to be so much of yourself because the world will try to tell you who you are and who you aren't. Yeah. And when you believe it, that's when you're, you're deep down. Yep. Yeah. So remember who you are um, and find something that keeps you going, whether it's picking up a guitar, learning that, whether it's woodworking, whether it's writing, write a book. If you're a geek, stick around, see how, see what happens <laughs> with Spider-Man. Lots happening. Like, Bring your geek out. Yeah, phase four is happening. Yeah, so just, read a lot of books, go hiking. Well, and I like that you, you did talk about, you know, finding something, finding your tribe, finding a hobby. Sometimes we don't know what that is, but just trying some different things right. and seeing what sticks. I I brag a lot about, uh, you know, the, the calm group and... Um, You guys do a lot of things for morale and for each other. I know you did like a vision board group with them. And, you know, but doing different things, again, to to bring people together and and to connect. And I do want to ask you guys, you know, in terms of what are some things that we could do here more at the wing? I think we do a lot of great stuff. I think leadership is on board about because they bring people to see me. Um, They want people to get help. What are some other things that we could do here at the wing? Is you know what it's it's um, there are things in the works. I will tell you that I, I'm um, there are things in the works that that I'm particularly trying to push. Um, I don't want to say yet because I'm You're still working. <laughs> yeah, I'm still yep, working on it. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. I want to put promises no. out there, but I will just say in and I hate this phrase, uh, in these unprecedented times, it's a lot harder to yeah. do, to to put things together. So mm-hmm. you do have to really get creative and think outside the box. And then you have to consider, hey, some people live in, you know, Rhode Island. Some people live in Framingham. Some That's a drive. So mm-hmm. when they're done with work, they want to be done. They, they want to yeah. go have their two-hour drive and listen to podcasts or mm-hmm. something like that. So how can we help people while we're here? And I mean, I, I'm, and stay safe, all of that. So 
I know that we're all thinking of of something. That at this point, there's no bad ideas. Yeah. I, I, because if we figure out how to keep it safe and make yeah. sure, yeah, all that. But I think, I mean, we do have a, a very large gym. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. You know, um, whether we could. Maybe a yoga day. A yo- <laughs> yoga day. Oh, we used to have a yoga person, but again with yeah. COVID. A yoga day. Yeah. Or like the other day we were talking in the office and uh, they were saying walking, taking walks yeah. around that. Even like during lunchtime, yep. like a group. It doesn't have to be long. Mm. Even if you're in uniform, just. We're going to do that on Tuesdays. Yeah. yeah. On Tuesdays. And then. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah. I, I was, I had gotten information I was telling you yesterday about uh, the base theater. Right. They. They rent out the theater. So you can do, you can, it's probably old movies or maybe right. new movies. Or maybe stand-up comedy. Or, you know, or stand-up comedy we're, in the theater. We're, we're, yeah, hand, just hand. We're working on something. You know? But again, but just, yeah, just I think things. that it, we've had to be a little bit more creative. We yeah. haven't been able to do the things that we used to do because of COVID. Yeah. And... And so even little simple things, like what you guys are great at, you know, asking those hard questions, noticing when somebody's acting a little off or Mm -hmm. different, or you know they're going through a divorce. That's a huge thing right now with relationships that I'm seeing and reaching out to them and encouraging them to go to therapy or to talk to someone. Um, And and doing little thoughtful things, you know. Hopefully we can do some bigger things, but doing little, you know, some, some little thoughtful things. So, anyway, I, I really appreciate what you guys have shared because what you've done, again, is an example of reducing stigma. I went and got help. Mm. I'm still here. Right. I still preach that to a lot of people that think I'm going to lose my clearance if I talk to somebody or this is going to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not true. <laughs> Do you know how many people here are getting help and now they're doing great because they got help? That's yeah. what we want to see. So... I appreciate the two of you. I, I, I see what you do. Um, I'll mention a couple quick things. The Suicide Prevention Hotline, which mm-hmm. is uh, 800-273-8255, and you press 1 for um, military or, or veterans, and you can text, you can talk. Uh, you can always call me the DPH. And then a couple local things like uh, Heroes in Transition. They're you know about to do a a reboot class for women. They do equestrian things. A lot of our folks here get involved, and that's a great way to connect in the community. If you're looking for therapy, and it's very hard to find right now, uh, free resources, well, military one source and give an hour. You can put in your zip code, and they have a, a section for military as well. And you were talking about PTSD earlier. There's a great app called PTSD Coach that's got some good oh, guided stuff. So there's another app. There was a guy that came here. I forgot his Justin name. Justin Miller, Objective Zero. Oh, there's, yeah, yes, uh, Objective Zero. I, I have the app that. on here, and they, you can connect with someone. Mm. Um, yeah. That's ObjectiveZero.org, and what I love about that is, yes, it's all military and veterans. You can put in your zip code. Yes. They call them, I think, ambassadors or yes, something. Yes, they're ambassadors, yeah. and you enable your location. And a lot of people use that here. Yeah. He came and spoke. He, he's also a veteran. So there's lots of things like that if you, if you don't want to talk to a civilian right. or yeah. somebody, you know, that you want to connect to to another person. Any quick uh, resources that you, you both mentioned um, Silky's hike, I do it every year. It's um, all a whole bunch. I started doing it maybe two years ago or three years ago. And uh, it's it's in September usually. But I do it out of Connecticut. And you do 13 miles hike with a whole diff- bunch of different veterans from, I mean, Marines. You have a mix of everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's to bring awareness to suicide prevention, uh, PTSD, support one another, walk that walk. Um, in honor of those who have um, perished, taken their life, mm-hmm. and you never be forgotten because yeah. they were heroes. They put their life on the line for this country, you know. And we're, we're st- I connect even out of that. So that kind of group, um, I forgot the other, this other group that does hikes, now you can reserve it, but mm-hmm. you go also, it's almost like a healing. There's um, also a, a local group, the Samaritans. I've had them on here before. Uh, and they do a lot of suicide prevention. They don't have groups going on right now, but they do typically have groups for um, 
people that have attempted suicide yeah. or yeah. people that have lost someone to a suicide, and that's a great local resource as well. So please reach out yeah. to me as a DPH mm -hmm. if you need a resource, if you want to connect with uh, these guys and talk to them. I know that they're available. Um, and we're going to be doing some different things around the wing this month for suicide prevention. So reach out to me. Uh, we're doing some weekly walks and some other ways to connect. Yeah. And if you have any suggestions around what we can do here at the wing, how we can improve, please let me know. Uh, you know, I, I do want to help. So thank you for joining us, and I appreciate both of you being here. Thank you it was an honor. This was, this was great. Thank, thank you, you yeah. so much. Thank, thank you. you. So that's it this month. Thanks for listening to The Seagull. Remember to share with your wingmen and check back in with us at www.102iw.ang.af.mil slash links or search for 102iw on any major social media platform. <laughs>